and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast uh, late in 2022, uh, potentially our last podcast of the year for uh, for this season, which is which is quite exciting and quite sad at the same time. But um, as you know, we'll be back bigger and better in, in 2023 with, with more podcasts. Um, Andrew Crow is my name. As you know, we may be doing some podcasts in the next couple of weeks. Our, our sister company, uh, Mirrigan Sky Shows, is doing a bunch of drone light shows down in Sydney. Um, over the, the Christmas period, um, and we may get some pretty cool guests across as well. Uh, in saying that, I'm, I'm really excited about today's guest because um, I've met Tracy before. We, we had a great catch-up and, and chat earlier in the year at, at uh, the Australian Association of Uncrewed Systems, RPAS in the Australian Skies. Tracy's coming all the way from the States. Tracy, how are you? Very well, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. And so um, before we get into anything, where are you? Where are you uh, You're dialing in from on Zoom? <laughs> so um, I am based in Houston, Texas, in the United States. Uh, it's uh, Thanksgiving week over here in the US. So I'm actually visiting my husband's family in freezing cold Kansas City. Kansas City. Is that where there's cycle? There's, there's tornadoes and stuff in Kansas City? Ah, you've probably been watching The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> probably, yeah, we, probably. We, we do have uh, tornadoes actually a little further south. Okay. Um, as you as you make your way in southern Kansas and then go through Oklahoma and then drive through to Houston, it's a pretty good road trip. But you're quite right; it's a uh, it's very windy. Lots of wind farms okay. and uh, great for drone inspectors. And um, <laughs> excuse me, fortunately, lots of tornadoes. Yeah, cool. I've just spent the last uh, couple of weeks down in, in regional um, South Australia and there's a ton of wind farms down there as well. I think it's for the wind farm, you know, capital of Australia. They're, they're just amazing, you know, pieces of equipment. Oh, they are. And, you know, very expensive, um, lots of maintenance, lots of inspections needed. And, of course, UAS is, you know, one of those ways where they're um, really making a difference to industry and industrial inspections as well. So, Yes, good on us for being in this industry, hey? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but importantly, and, and to say up front, you're an Aussie by background though, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a I'm a Queenslander who migrated to Melbourne um, and uh, obviously grew up in Australia, lived there most of my life. In 2015, um, the unmanned aircraft systems industry took me away from Australia. I lived in London for 12 months working uh, UAS operations all throughout Europe and uh, then the company moved me to the United States and I've been in the United States ever since uh, 2016. That's really cool. I love the States. I spent a bunch of time over there with um, with the Australian Army, actually. It's it's uh, some, well, some part of it and some of it is um, is pretty outstanding. But you, you've got an even more interesting background than that. Why, why don't you go back a little bit further even? You um, you sort of started your career more so in, in commercial aviation and even as a pilot. Um, would, you, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, aviation's really been very, very good for me, very good for my career. You know, I got into aviation as an accident when I was in my very early 20s. Um, probably give away my age now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, someone gave me a joy flight. And um, within six months, I had my private pilot's licence and fell in love with the sky and aviation and the discipline of it and the safety. Um, within uh, within two years, I'd had my commercial pilot's licence and was a qualified flight instructor. 
and uh, started teaching people how to fly, started flying uh, aerial photography, fish spotting there on the Gold Coast. I used to do the shark patrol. And, um, you know, it was just a great uh, entree into the, into the industry. Um, it wasn't without its ups and downs. I've actually, over my whole career now, which has spanned 28 years, um, I've actually seen 11 of my uh, personal acquaintances and, and in a couple of cases, friends killed in aviation accidents that were completely um, avoidable. And wow. that really that really did give me a heightened passion and sensitivity for safety, safety systems, human factors, human factors training, and everything safety related. So, you know, over the course of my aviation career, I've focused more and more on aviation safety systems. I'm very fortunate enough that I spent um, 11 years as an instructor. I was also a corporate jet pilot. I did freight. I did all kinds of flying all around Australia and the Asia Pacific and actually worked for Vizzy in their um, in their Pratt Aviation uh, division as well. And that took me all over the place. Managed to uh, fly for McDoan for a while uh, when, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> when Matthew McConaughey came and visited Australia. I was working for McDoan's company and I got to fly Matthew McConaughey around. I got to see Vanuatu and Honiara and Nauru. And, <clears throat> and then I joined Virgin Australia. I was on the Boeing 737 uh, with Virgin Australia based out of Melbourne and uh, got to form great friendships and and all this while, aviation for me is more than about the flying. It's about the safety, the safety systems mm. and the human factors. And, of course, <clears throat> being the consummate academic that I am, um, started really getting heavily focused in, in the academic side of that research and development. And, uh, and that's really what's shaped my career is, is being, being heavily focused into operations, but also research development and academia as well. You sound very similar to my colleague Will Stamatopoulos, who um, who works at Mirigan as well. He's very you know focused on that human factors and and keeping people safe as well, which which is really cool and and, and is needed obviously within the industry. And um and I can see that you know in around sort of 2014 you, you started to make a bit of a shift and and um and we've got some similarities in that you sat on the AUS board as well in in 14 15 and um you also spent some time on the um, AUVSI um, board or, or part of that organisation. Um, sort of giving back to the to um to that industry as well. What what sort of moved you across into into uncrewed systems? Yeah, so I um that's a really good question. And um, firstly, yes, you're quite right. I was on the board of directors of AAUS uh, back in Australia for AUVSI. I was actually there. I was an employee. I was actually their vice president oh, right. of regular. Yeah, I was their VP of vice of uh, regulatory and safety. Um, based out of DC, and that was great fun. And I love the organisations. I really do love working in nonprofits and sharing um, as as much of the resources <clears throat> and all of the um, industry advancement as possible. Uh, but um, now I forgot your, your other question. What uh, so um, what, what drove you across into the uncrewed sector? Um, yes, I knew. There we go. <laughs> I, I knew that was I knew that was where we were going. Yeah, so I I um I actually started uh I started researching human factors in aviation, and at the same time, some of my buddies in Virgin Australia were mad keen model aircraft flyers, and I thought, oh, this was this would be cool. So I went out to um 
the model aircraft field and I started watching some serious modelers like they had miniature fan jet model aircraft and I started thinking about the human factors involved in model aircraft and it was about the same time that the university that I was um, both instructing at and also involved in studies there RMIT University in Melbourne um, had started a UAS um, laboratory, a UAS research lab, and I joined that. And under the guidance of Rhys Clothier and Dr. Graham Wild, um, I actually started a PhD, which is almost over now, um, in researching human factors in unmanned aircraft systems. And, uh, and that's what really shifted me across to it. But I was also... Uh, an aviator, a qualified uh, safety auditor and also investigator. So I left Virgin Australia to actually pursue a, a full-time career as an aviation safety advisor and auditor for the Swiss company that eventually did, you know, end up moving me to London and then the United States to develop their um, certification programs <clears throat> and indeed their, their um, UAS inspection programs as well. So I guess the thing that drove me out of the flight deck and into uh, safety was unmanned systems, even though I focus on all kinds of advanced aviation um, safety systems at the moment. Yeah, it's such a cool background and, and so varied. And, um, you know, I, th I think you've now made another change as well or another another slight shift. Um, and, and there's a uh, an organisation that you've established and, and is launching this month, um, Quantum AI. W would you be able to tell our listeners a little bit about how that you know, what, what was the idea behind that and what drove you to, to look looking to set that up? Yeah, well, thanks for asking, Andrew. So Quantum AI is uh, a company over here in the United States that I founded last year. I've been working very closely with some Aussie partners, actually, on an established software program called AIRS. In the United States, it, it will be called AIRS Vision. And we're very excited about it because this is a platform that really helps organisations with their uh, centralizing their safety management systems and their quality management systems function. And uh, my two partners, Glenn Eastlake and David Rickwood of ISS, International Safety Systems uh, in Australia, uh, they've been working on this now since about 2012. And I've been involved in the development and really tracking and, and a big fan of the, pro of the platform for many years. So we have some good established customers in uh, in Australia, Northrop Grumman and Qantas Regional mm. and Virgin Australian Regional Airlines. And we've got Air North and um, quite a few uh, airport operators. We've got EGT uh, in uh, Western Australia, which handles a lot of safety training for the oil and gas offshore industry. Um, and, of course, we have, I think I mentioned, Northrop Grumman as well in Australia. So we've got some good customers here that have really... Um, I guess, given us the confidence in the ability of our platform to take it to the next level. And that is, you know, doing more advanced analytics, uh, machine learning algorithms, data mining, um, predictive analytics. So we've really uh, joined together and taking the platform to the next level now in the United States. And we're very excited about that. Uh, Quantum AI is, uh, as I said, it's a based in Houston, Texas. Uh, I'm the CEO of the organization. And um, <clears throat> we're, uh, we're very excited about where this is going, heavily involved also in continuing the research and development with, uh, with that space to really look at how we can 
predict uh, operational risk for advanced aviation, including vertiport operators, uh, autonomous drone operators, and also obviously uh, the offshore uh, transport with UAS and uncrewed systems. So very exciting space for us to get into with our platform. And, um, you know, we have capabilities that um, very few other uh, applications can really do and certainly does, don't have the experience that the three of us have to drive it to the next level of data analytics. Yeah, it certainly seems like you've got the background, um, you know, for this as well, given, given your crude background, your uncrewed background um, and into this as well. What have you taken out of your, you know, even your crude or uncrewed background that, that's helped you, you know, with quantum AI and, and really, you know, defining the problem that you're looking to solve? Well, I think that's that's really the pivotal question, isn't it? And I think, you know, there is no one thing. Um, you know, my partners and I have collectively over 100 years of experience between us as commercial pilots, safety and human factors experts. And I'm just lucky that my partners are fantastic with coding and, and, and software as well. Um, I bring to the table the R&D side of it uh, through mm. the university that I've been um, studying with for the last few years and also for other with other independent researchers. So I guess we have the, you know, that passion for aviation safety is our central drive and our expertise and experience are really the icing on the cake. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, so we can basically, I guess, you know, we really know how, we really know how the workflows and what's what's required when you're trying to run a fully integrated in-time safety management system for autonomous systems and advanced aviation. And uh, I think we have a, a really um, exciting 12 months ahead of us. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this whole this whole industry and this whole space is is quite interesting, particularly the UAM and, and the AAM sort of space. Where where do you think you guys will, will provide, you know, best bang for buck in that space? Where are you really going to be the, the game changer or, um, you know, really make a difference in that AAM, UAM space, do you think? Yeah, and um, that's really good. And one of the re reasons um, and the, I guess the reality ping for us last year was just how well our platform is uh, performs when it gets big data in it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we did fairly recently with one of our airline customers, Solomon Airlines, was to actually start running the flight data recorder um, data through the through the platform with fantastic results. So, um, being with our expertise, you know, the great thing is, is you know, we can actually find out well what are the big risk areas for each of our clients because they're not going to be the same for any, everyone, particularly as we move now into the Vertiport operation space and the advanced mm -hmm. aviation space where you know you have you have both man well, crewed and uncrewed uh, eVTOL aircraft doing lots of different types of con, con ops in different countries so the agility to be able to get the data into our system which is capable of that big data and then analyze that in terms of well what does that customer need in terms of their risk profiling? and really have the capability to drag into the central system the human factors and the things that other platforms are not capturing. So a lot of platforms will catch um, capture 
technical data, like they may capture telemetry data or flight data recorded data, but they're not going to capture the human factors data as well. And one of the strengths of our platform is that it's so, it's unlimited user capability. So everyone with a cell phone that is within the organisation can put in their safety concerns, their hazard um, issues, uh, take snapshots, geolocation, and put that all directly into the central platform without having to, you know, connect to different modules or download different applications or not have things you know, decentralized as we found most operators do. So that's one of the strengths that we that we bring is our the fact that we're fully integrated system wide and where we have the capacity to not only process big data but capture big data. Yeah, and, and the biggest issue I kind of see you're sitting on the outside is this whole regulatory you know, safety case kind of piece as well. I can only imagine that the work you guys are going to do is going to directly contribute to really making our regulators, you know, confident and comfortable that what is occurring is safe. Is that is that part of, you know, what you guys will provide to the industry more broadly as well? Yeah, and we have been actually providing that with some of the CAAs, um, the, in particular the New Zealand CAA is a particular fan of, of our platform. Um, and, and they're a great test bed really for many ways because they're so forward link, leaning like Australia as well and they're more agile. So that's been a, a very big um, kudos for us, I think, is having the involvement with the New Zealand regulator in such a strong way. And, um, and, and because of that too, I think one of the benefits that our customers have have reaped over the years is the fact that it is a, a regulatory repository. So we mm -hmm. actually upload all of the regulations within the platform so that different um, different hazards or different elements can be linked to each regulation. This makes it really handy if you're trying to do from the compliance perspective as well. It really mm. makes your it makes your safety manager turn into an absolute rock star, like data <laughs> guru. Rock star. Nice. That's, <laughs> that's right, and, and that's what we've been told. I mean, if you you know you're in an organisation where you have to either audit or be audited a few times a year, some in one of our customers up to three hundred audits per annum. Mm. Um, tracking though, tracking the change management, tracking the corrective actions and linking those to the latest regulations really does help our safety and compliance managers out tremendously. Um, you know, and the other the other thing is, is, you know, within the touch of a few buttons, we produce over 58, sorry, 138 different types of specialised reports. So that really makes, um, yeah, that makes safety professionals absolutely love us. They're usually the big champions uh, to say, yes, please, can we get this? Yeah, I can definitely imagine. And how, I'm interested in, in your experience with regulators. You're obviously in the States. You've done some work with uh, New Zealand. Um, you, you understand the Australian system and, and the, regu the regulator in Australia. How different are the regulators and how different are their expectations from a safety perspective? Well, you might, you ask a really good question. In fact, um, I only just got back from Drone Enable uh, this mm -hmm. this past week. I was up there for IKO's uh, RPAS Symposium and Drone Enable, and pre I presented at the uh, Drone uh, Drone Enable um, event because I am now a, a 
a KO SME and certified instructor for UAS regulations um, for to help regulators around the world unify all of their um, all of their regulations. I do see differences. Um, mm. Generally speaking, you know they say the devil is in the detail, and the International Civil Aviation Organization (ICAO), as many people know, is the specialized aviation branch of the United Nations. And its goal is to harmonise uh, UAF, well, all aviation regulations so that we do have global trade and global travel and seamless interactions. Where this is important for UAS operators, I think is more with the, the global trade and the international um, uh, working together as uh, just as regular um, uh, transport airlines can work together with their ticketing. UAS mm. operators should be able to work together around the globe to offer seamless services. And that means we have to be harmonised with our licensing, with our standards, with our regulatory framework. And there are <clears throat> complementary uh, regulations, but I see a lot of differences between Canada and the United States, United States and Australia, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and one of the I guess the, the most fun I have is working with regulators from South Africa and the Middle East because they want to be harmonised with ICAO. So they embrace enthusiastically the ICAO model regulations for commercial UAS. And I see a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of synergy happening, especially with the certification of larger UAS. So, yes, there are differences, particularly in pilot licensing, mm. um, and, and that can pose problems for Aussies who, you know, perhaps want to come and do some work over here or or vice versa. I, I have a an Australian UOC and I have an American um, 107, and uh, there are substantial differences between those. Yeah, and you make a really good point about that. You know, nearly nearly free trade agreement between countries with, with operators. It'd be great if, you know, someone who's trained in the States um, we could have CASA at, at a comfortability level where they could just come across and operate in Australia with maybe a small bridging course, but you know maybe not a full five day course. I think um, yeah, I think that that's quite important, and I'm sure the industry certainly thanks you for your, for your efforts in in that as well, Tracy. Hey, look, yeah, um, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and you make a great point. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I know we're we're running a little bit short of time, but I, but I do want to find out um, where you think we're headed. You know, what what is the next? What's the next five to ten years? What does the next five years kind of look like from a from an uncrewed systems or safety perspective? You know, according to Tracy, well, what are your thoughts? What are your broad thoughts on it? Oh, thoughts according to Tracy. Well, definitely, <laughs> um, well, definitely, uh, the application of formal safety management systems is something that the Aussies are really good at embracing. Um, worked with a lot of Australian operators before I left, and you know, I was I'm really proud of the Aussies how. You know, whenever I pick up a piece of literature about UAS safety systems and 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 how they're getting their approvals and moving forward in the industry, it's they're always forward leaning with safety. Um, mm. I think that broader the broader industry, particularly over in the United States, I think we're going to see. Um, I, we already see that within the waiver process over here. Most of the uh, organisations who apply for BV loss waivers or or uh, other types of waivers, uh, they have to implement a safety management system. 
Um, but in many cases, you know, that's that's still largely voluntary. So I think that uh, I think that safety management systems, from what I've seen, are the key to unlocking uh, advanced approvals and and more advanced operations. So I see that as a discipline becoming more widespread, um, and the use cases just continuing to grow. Hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Tracy, look, I know that uh, the organisation, you know, you set up and, and established Quantum AI isn't, isn't yet released or isn't yet launched and it's going to be launched later this month. But um, when it is launched you know, or, or, you know, immediately if people want to find you, how's the best way to at least uh, reach out and have a chat? Is, is LinkedIn probably the best platform for that? Oh, you'll always find me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. You can send me a direct message on LinkedIn um, or and my website will launch in a couple of weeks. So keep your eyes open. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, definitely LinkedIn me and uh, I look forward to seeing my uh, Aussie colleagues hopefully over in Houston very soon too. Yeah, fingers crossed. Now let us know when you, you launch and we'll certainly push it out through our channels as well. We're, we're really excited um, for you and, and the team and, and we're sure it's going to be a hugely successful organisation. Oh, thanks, Andrew. That's very great of you. And thanks to Mary Gann and the opportunity to have a chat with a good Aussie bloke today. <laughs> no worries at all. It was good <laughs> to catch up in uh, in February, March, whenever it was earlier this year, and, and good to chat today. The, the powers of technology allow us to talk right across the globe, which is fantastic. Got to love that. Absolutely. Well, enjoy your Thanksgiving week. I know it's a big week over there with, with you and the family, so I hope you have a, have a great week. Thank you so much, Andrew, and I look forward to catching up with all you guys when I'm over here over in Oz pretty soon. Awesome. Thanks, Tracy.